actually 90% of those million dollar recruitment business owners, the common trend and theme is that they are specialists. So, you know, it's the proofs in the pudding. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My co-host today is Leanne Sir jones hunt Hi, Leanne. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you, Mark? Fantastic. And I'm excited because today's topic is one that is very important to us, which is mistake number seven, being a generalist instead of a niche market specialist. So, Leanne, why is it important for recruiters to be more specialist rather than generalist? Yeah, there's several reasons. But firstly, the clearer you can be about your niche, the clearer your messaging will be. So when I say messaging, I'm talking about um, your website, the messages and email campaigns that are potentially going out, your LinkedIn profile. And that messaging is key in order to attract the right audience and your target market. And you can only do that if you understand your niche and you have narrowed it down and laser focused down in such a way that actually it is personalized and it does feel like you are speaking to your audience. 100%. This is so important, especially because like, think about it, we're bombarded with so many messages that includes emails, in-mails, other, you know, social media channels, and we ignore 99% of the information that's coming, coming at us. The things we pay attention to are the things that really resonate with us and the way to achieve that resonance is through relevance, actually. So our brain subconsciously is doing this work for us. We, you can't possibly pay conscious attention to all the information that's coming at you. So your brain filters most of it out. And the only things it brings to your conscious awareness it are those things which directly relate and are relevant to your goals, your problems that priorities and issues that you're tackling, the things you're worried about, the things that are most important to you. So therefore, as Leanne says, if your messaging is relevant to your target audience, then it's much more likely to get their attention. Yeah. Um, so another benefit is the actual recruitment cycle in itself. So um, if you have a targeted and well-defined niche, the recruitment cycle is much shorter. You have a candidate pool, almost the um, fish in a barrel an analogy, if you like, rather than trying to start from scratch every time on a particular search, which perhaps is um, on one niche, then another sub niche, then another niche. Actually, being specialized means that um, you could potentially present a candidate to your client within 24 to 48 hours um, versus the generalist where actually it is a real sort of time and effort and energy put into a search um, where perhaps you don't have that um, low-hanging fruit and you don't know that uh, industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, think of it in terms of recyclability of your candidates rather than starting from scratch and how much harder that is. So um, as an example, uh, a former client of mine, Ron, what is a specialist type recruiter and IT recruiter in networking, infrastructure, and security. And in his career, he's made over 2,000 placements. So, I mean, 2,000 placements, that's, imagine that the average fee is 20,000. That's $40 million in lifetime cash in for a solo 
recruiter. Now that's over a long, that's over like 30 years or something, but still the point is he knows because he's very lasered in, he only recruits in not only just IT, but a subset of IT roles and in one specific city. And he literally turns down business that does not fall within that um, that niche. And as a result, he knows absolutely everybody in his market and they all know him. And what that translates to is when he interviews a candidate, he just goes to his database. He selects four or five companies that he thinks are going to be a good fit. He sends out an email and he's got two or three interviews lined up within like a couple of days. And the same when he gets a new search, like he goes into his database and in hours, he's got his shortlist together, not you know, months, weeks, or days, but literally in hours. So I, I'd like to ask our audience, like, what is typically your time to fill? How many days or weeks would it take from, you know, being instructed by a client on a new search to uh, presenting your candidate shortlist? How, how many days or weeks is that? Because your time to fill has a direct correlation to how many searches you can you know, f- complete in a, in a, let's say a given period, like a, a, a month. So if it takes you four weeks of work to make one placement, then that means you can only do maximum of 12 placements in a year. Right. And that's assuming everything goes to plan. You don't have counter offers or other surprises, but if you can accelerate that so that you, it only takes you a week to, to, uh, complete you know, 80% of the search, then that means you can make four placements in a month. And if it only takes you a few days to do a search, then you could be doing multiple placements per, uh, per week. So speed uh, is really, and efficiency, as Leanne said, is really a, a huge benefit here. Yeah. And just to further elaborate on that, we discussed um, on another podcast episode, mistake number two, relying on too few clients, but we specifically highlighted about the job order scorecard. Um, And one of the criteria in there is, is this role essentially within your wheelhouse? Because if it isn't, then actually that could be a potentially a fact why you aren't, um, your your sort of placement um, to, your job order to placement ratio isn't where you want it to be because actually you're being stretched too thin um, and actually your time, it's kind of diluted because you're scrambling on various different job orders that aren't actually within your specialization. Yes, very, very well said. 100% agree. Um, what else? Um, so I, I guess what the, the elephant in the room here is we're pretty clued up on the objections that come to us when we do this with our newbies that start in our training program about um, you know what could stop people from actually uh, specializing um, and there's no doubt about it you know this is this is tough you know committing to a niche is tough psychologically it feels like you're turning down revenue uh, for example right. and you know you you potentially are worried about key accounts that you've worked with for many many years and you know we're not saying like completely cut ties here there is is a transition period that needs to happen um but um there's a reason why mark you know even on this podcast you've uh, interviewed now 158 159 um and actually 90% of those million dollar recruitment business owners the common trend and theme is that they are specialists so you know it's the proof's in the pudding <laughs> exactly exactly you've you've correctly highlighted the internal resistance that people feel like or the 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 concern they have about you know refining their niche and being more specialist and it's 
FOMO, like worrying about missing opportunities or, or losing business, you know, creates anxiety in, in, in people. Um, and, and as you said, like the reality is by being a specialist, you will make more money. So although it feels like you're, you know, uh, reducing the, the potential amount of business that you could go after, the reality is for all the reasons we've already talked about, you will be more successful. So the other thing you mentioned is regarding legacy clients. So uh, you know you may have relationships that fall outside the you know your specified market niche that you've settled on. And so it's a question of you know what you do with that. And as Leanne said, it's going to be a transitionary period. But what what would you say to reassure people who are like they think, but I really like working with this client and I do like I X percent of my billings is tied to that particular account. Yeah, I'd say absolutely cash flow and being able to recruit and keep things afloat is so crucial where if you are now looking to further niche down and, and become more specialist. So that transition period, um, there's not to say that you can't work with those legacy clients. You could let them know, you know, what what's going on in terms of the direction that you're going in, um, which won't affect that relationship, but also give them the heads up that, you know, they may see a different message on your website now and your LinkedIn content, your LinkedIn profile, your um, messages that are going out. So it doesn't alarm them that perhaps you're, you know, closing the door. But, you know, to make, you've got to draw the line in the sand. You've got to make sure that you are um, committing to the niche wholeheartedly and not just dipping your toe in the water because you just, I feel like you won't move forwards. And I've seen it before time and time again with people who, you know, um, recruitment business owners are are very precious and just want to cling on to something that where it's just not counterproductive as well. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's well said. It's like Michael Corleone in The Godfather is like, every time I try and get out, they pull me back in. You know, it's that feeling of like, you know, it's so easy and comfortable to just stay within the boundaries of what, you know, being being that uh, all things to all people. And, you know, you don't have to walk away from your clients that you enjoy working with and which are profitable for you. So the the compromise, I think, is, as Leanne says, it's important to communicate with your key clients and just give them a heads up the direction you're taking things and reassure them you're still going to be able to serve, you know, their hiring needs. But, you know, your website and your LinkedIn profile are going to be targeted to a specific area. Um, but so we kind of make this distinction between um, inbound, what kind of the business that lands in your lap versus outbound, what you're going to proactively go after with your marketing and your business development and your recruiting efforts. And so if you have one or two key accounts that you rely on, then uh, and th- you're confident you can fill those jobs, you can you can make money, uh, and you know it's maybe it's retained or for whatever reason you you were, would regard it as an A grade search. That's absolutely fine. But all we're saying is, <clears throat> for eighty percent of your focus needs to be on your new niche initially, and eventually that will go to ninety percent. And you may get to a point down the road where you've outgrown those previous accounts, and what you're doing now is so much more profitable uh, that you do decide to move away from those legacy accounts, but you absolutely don't have to. It's just a question of like the majority of your time and effort is going to that new niche. It's a bit like 
the other analogy I use is in university, you have to pick a major. You, you can't get a degree in everything, right? That's literally impossible. But you can still minor in other topics that interest you. So if you're focusing on accounting, you could take a psychology course. Or if you're focused on psychology, you could take a math course if you wanted to, right? But you want to, you just need to choose your area of focus and be an expert on that. And I guess the segue for that, um, from that is, you know, people are uh, sort of asking how, but how do I do that? Um, and it's something we teach from the get-go with our program. We have our high altitude training for, um, it's a, a four-week on-ramp for our Elevate group. And the first thing we um, get people to do and go through is the market mapping exercise. So imagine being able to ID every decision maker, every client contact and candidate in your market and see what that looks like. And then rather than going on gut feels and um, you know what you think you should be going after, actually being able to apply a strategic standpoint to that and perspective versus you just trying to, you know, figure it out as you go along and sort of, you know, uh, winging it, if you like. So um, it's proven to be so um, helpful. People are having epiphany moments. I mean, shout out to Catherine, who's one of our newest members. Um, She has had recently that aha in terms of her niche just by doing that particular exercise um, as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great point. So that is the goal is you have like... 90% plus of the market already identified on your database, full contact details, and you are starting to build a relationship with those clients, those candidates. And then when you have a new search, it's like you're, you're already on third base. You just need to run it in. And as we said, that means shorter time to fill in everything. But the other important benefit of this is you achieve market mastery and you really do become the go-to recruiter in your market niche. So think how that drastically reduces the competition. In the UK, there's something like 40,000 recruitment companies. It's It's a crazy number. And if you're a generalist, you're competing with all of them. But the more you specialize, the fewer, you know, people realistically are ever going to be true competitors to you. And it's the same actually with talent acquisition folks, like their job is to fill as many roles internally as possible, you know, through their own efforts, but they do go to specialists for difficult searches and you want to be their go-to specialist when it comes to your, your discipline. Exactly. So Leanne, um, in terms of like, if this is an area that people want help with and you want to learn yeah. more about our coaching program, then uh, why don't you go ahead and book a strategy call with us? You can do that at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash book a call. And um, Leanne, before, let's give people a heads up on what we're covering next time. But first of all, are there a couple of quick action steps people can take to get the ball rolling with this? Okay, so in a minute, Leanne, we'll tell people what we're going to do in the next episode. First, let me leave you with just a couple of, uh, like, if you're wondering, how do we even get started on this journey? So there's two things. Number one is thinking about the parameters of how to even define a market niche. You can use the... um acronym FIL, which is Function Industry Level Location. Okay, Our uh, framework is even more detailed than that and has more facets to it, but that's just a simple thing you can remember off the top of your head. Function Industry Level Location, FIL. And the second thing I would do is look back over like your 
last 12 to 24 months of placements, where have you had the most success? Because that's a clue. It doesn't mean you have to stick to that, but that would be a good starting point to decide where have you been the most successful and why don't we double down on that? Um, but only if it's an area you actually enjoy. So that's another uh, thing to think about. So Leanne, what is it that we're going to cover next time we get together on the podcast? Yeah. So mistake number eight is not tracking your metrics. Now, um, this is a huge topic across our group. Um, and anyone that we speak to, even on the strategy sessions um, that Mark and I both do, um, we hear this is where people fall short. It's one of those tasks that kind of goes by the wayside and gets forgotten about. And actually, this is the absolute cornerstone of, of something that can absolutely ha- enhance and improve your business just by knowing knowing the story um, through the metrics and through the numbers. Absolutely. Well said. I'm looking forward to that, Leanne. So great talking to you as usual. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.